0: Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer Live, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. With me once again, Mr. Josh Lewis, our what, residential, our resident, resident mortgage professional? Are you a resident now? Because I never get to
1: leave the office. I get to (laughs) stare at the computer and talk at all times.
0: (laughs) Josh is having a hard day. Weak. So You Weak. guys need easy questions tonight. Don't make him use too much brain power. He's struggling. He's having some emotional breakdowns earlier. Today. Jim,
1: had, Jim had to talk me off the ledge a few minutes ago.
0: Uh, anyway, we uh, appreciate you being here. If you're new to the show, this is where we answer your questions live. I know a lot of you guys listen on the podcast and are asking you know wanting to see the show this is the show this is where we answer the questions live and then we take that show and put it on the podcast on Friday in addition to the episode that we film or record on Tuesdays rather uh but what has happened from you know last week to now uh rates continued to move a little bit higher which we're going to talk about in more detail here in just a moment we've received pending home sales which came in no surprise there we knew we were going to see a jump in pending home sales just because we saw that drop in buyer demand, you know, towards the beginning of January. And that that spurred, you know, people out there wanting to buy homes. And uh, because of that, we've seen that that jump in buyer demand. And we're going to talk about what I'm seeing out there as an agent right now uh, with regards to working with buyers. What I'm seeing, you know, I, I put a poll on my channel this past week asking the question of, of what you're seeing at open houses. And I actually need to go back and look at it. But the majority was about split. About half of the people were saying little to no activity. And the other half were saying better than I expected to a little bit busier. Um, so we're going to talk about that in more detail. But while we do that, Josh, why don't we talk a little bit about interest rates here and get things moving in that direction?
1: Yeah, you want to let's throw the the slides it's yep. a little bit helpful here. We'll
0: let's, get back here. Yeah, start there. So
1: look at this. This is a 30 year 5% um, mortgage bond. And you're probably saying, well, rates aren't 5%. Why is that? It's a toss up between the five and the 5.5% coupon, which is better to look at right now. But this gives us a view back to September. So we've kind of made a round trip here. We went all the way down. So remember, Jeb always likes me to point out um, down is bad in this because that means prices paid for the bonds are down interest rates, yields are up. So we hit um, what looks like the 20th of October or so, kind of the worst uh, levels and then improved and then kind of backed off and then improved and backed off. I drew that red line in there. That red line is a pivot. And if you'll see the red candle on the far right, we kind of gave up that line today. So barring a turnaround, um, it looks like we're going to move lower in prices, higher in yield. So any of you who are in contract now who are going to be closing in the near term, probably better to go ahead and get locked. Um, you know, there are a lot of conflicting signals. We've talked a lot about the things that are good and likely to help uh, improve rates going forward. But we also week by week kind of get surprised by stronger than expected uh, numbers. You know, Jeb here, you threw in the chart Mortgage News Daily is a 6.94. I think rates are a little bit better than that. Um, That's a pretty good industry-wide average. And a lot of times, you know, we get jaded here in California. Our loans are so big and there's a lot of competition. So the pricing's a little, a little more razor thin in terms of margins here um, because of the large loan sizes and the amount of competition. If you're in Nebraska, an average loan size is 200000 $220,000. Um, pricing won't be quite as good. So that 6.94, um, we're hanging on just under 7%. Uh, and it doesn't look super positive here in the short run of the direction that we're gonna be going. Um, I threw up a couple pieces of information. So one of the things, Jeb, that we had been talking about the last few mm-hmm. weeks is we were gonna get PCE last week on Friday. Yeah. Um, the hope was that, that PCE would be a little bit improved because it doesn't weight uh, housing expense quite as heavily, and it didn't have the seasonal adjustments that we saw in CPI. Um, and we didn't get that improvement. So w- a couple of the slides that I have here are elements of what was reported there. This is chart here is real personal consumption spending. So real, when they mean real, they don't mean did you really go out and spend the money. They mean this has already been adjusted for inflation. Now i don't know about you guys we come here every week we look in the comments and everyone talks about hey i'm I'm tightening my belt i'm not spending money on this and yet what we see here the average consumer is spending more money than they were after adjusting for inflation so it's not just that prices went up because of inflation they're literally spending
0: more well josh while you're on that you know we i don't know if i talk to you about this or someone else but you know kids are on spring break here in a couple of weeks and so family we're looking at, at you know doing a vacation for for when they're on spring break trying to plan something guys booking a vacation for one super expensive it's crazy what flights cost these days what it costs to stay in a hotel like i remember you know and, and i'm trying to date myself but i remember like you could use you used to be able to get a like a really nice hotel room for 400 450 bucks right like really, nice. really yeah. nice. Now yeah. it's seven, 800 bucks a night for a mediocre hotel room in a lot of these places. And we're looking at booking, you know, vacations and what have you. We had to book two months ago to get something that, you know, solidified that we're going to take in April. Whereas we used to be able to book this say now and, and do it just because, you know, uh, uh, there wasn't that many people. There's so much demand out there. There's, there's a lot of spending still happening. So, it just kind of corresponds exactly with what you're saying there, Josh.
1: And that, I mean, Jeb, that truly is inflation. That's the same thing yeah. going up in cost. Once it's adjusted for inflation, who knows? Um, who knows if people are actually spending more uh, on things of that sort? But you know, anyone talks about what? What is the big, the big topic that came up this week? Uh, revenge vacationing. People, we've been trapped at home for three years, so everyone is going on vacation. Flights are really expensive. Um, a number of things uh, expensive in costs. So. These got kind of mixed up and out of order. But again, from from last week's report, uh, year-over-year change in personal consumption expenditures in the price index. So had peaked and is moderating, but now we're just kind of going sideways here and we're well above the Fed's 2% inflation target. So we have shown the the Fed Funds futures chart uh, that keeps slowly pushing out the expectation of Fed cuts to the end of the year. And I think we're close to having given up on that idea. Um, we're in March, the beginning of March here. So yeah. it's going to be two, three months before we see anything yeah. that resembles um, confirmation of what they're wanting to happen. And they yeah. want to keep rates elevated there. So, again, in terms of mortgage rates, the thing that's important to remember is that mortgage rates don't follow Fed actions, they follow the direction of inflation. The Fed actions were caused by the direction of inflation. It was high and rising much faster than they wanted to. So they were hiking, hiking, hiking. Eventually, they're going to stop. It looks like we've got a quarter again, a quarter again, well, possibly yeah. another quarter.
0: Yeah, so I just shot a video today, in, in fact, talking about more about inflation and what have you. And at the moment, uh, latest you know, predictions push, uh, essentially, four more cuts out there um, are priced in, taking us to almost four more hikes. Four more hikes rather, sorry, not cuts. Uh taking us to five and a half to five point seven five. Um the last one, you know, it's it's only like a 40% you know probability at the moment, but it's priced in whereas before it wasn't priced in at all. Uh and and still, like you said, the rate cuts starting in December are still priced in. So it'll be interesting Um, which
1: that that one I'm like why why would they cut they they want
0: they seem to think that there's a huge something big is going to happen recession wise that would that would cause them to to do something different so think
1: about that there would have to be a big negative shock um so far the economy has been surprisingly resilient some of these numbers don't necessarily make sense to us with what we're hearing and seeing on the street but the numbers come out just slight upside surprises across many different measures so for the Fed to cut, it, it's going to require a big downside shock. I don't see where it's coming from. I think they're going to they're going to stop here sometime middle of the year, but likely keep rates high and, and, and at this level for a while. Now, that doesn't directly spill into mortgage rates and tell us where we're going. Um, that will be the month-over-month inflation measures. Um, And, you know, Jeb, what will be interesting going forward this month is, do we keep focusing on CPI or does that shift? Now, we saw some trading off of PCE this month, which was the first time in a while. Maybe it it shifts over to where they go back to the Fed's preferred measure and look Mm. at PCE.
0: I don't know, man. There's just so so much hype around the CPI number. I don't know if they can just change all of a sudden. But... We'll see. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about inflation here in just a moment, but we're going to look at some other charts as we always do. Uh, Inventory, once again, guys, down another 1.5%, sitting at 429,757 nationwide. The lowest numbers we've seen in a very long time. Um, Here in Huntington Beach, sitting at 148 properties, Orange County, 2166. We haven't seen these numbers since, I don't know. It's... early fourth quarter of, of, uh, or, uh, of 2022. So it's been a while. Um, inventory is going the wrong direction, uh, to give buyers an opportunity to, um, bring prices down, um, in any significant way you need more inventory to come to the market, which we talk about every single week. Um, and, and on this topic, let's talk a bit about a couple of offers put out. So put out three different offers in the past eight days, seven days, Um, and all three of them are are multiple offer situations. One is somebody we've been making offers with for the better part of a year. Uh, he stopped, um, and came back to the market. Now that rates are double, um, decided to buy now when rates are significantly higher, but nevertheless, he's back in and, and always making strong offers, always at the asking price above the asking price, but during the 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 heyday, if you will, of the market last year, unwilling to go crazy above. And therefore, he never got a property. Um, so now he's coming back, making offers at the asking price a little bit above. And the property that he purchased or was looking to make an offer on was listed at a million. He offered just over a million. I think a million ten was his offer. And very strong, shortened contingencies, did everything right in the offer. That property ended up having 15 offers on it. Um, five of which were $100,000 more than the asking price, so over 1.1. So five people offered $100,000 more in a declining market that's crashing. Right? That was that was a sarcastic remark. There uh, didn't really come across well, did it, Josh? Now, secondly, offer um, in San Juan Capistrano listed last Friday, put an offer in on Sunday. Had multiple offers on Sunday already, um, and as of today, they're still taking offers for whatever reason. So there's that one, and then another buyer, actually one of the buyers that wrote an offer on that, made an offer last week, multiple offer situation, and they went with one offer without countering anyone. So out of three offers, we got nowhere on those those two different buyers there, and all sold for more than the asking price in a market that supposedly isn't doing anything so just know out there guys it's not nobody's giving away houses if you're planning to buy you just need to plan accordingly and kind of have an idea of what to get into i i was surprised to see people going well above the asking price um on that particular property for one uh it, it was it seemed to be priced right at its current price and so really surprised to see where those numbers went um I don't know. It'll be interesting nonetheless. So that's where we're sitting.
1: I think we talked about it last week. I have that client looking out in Wildemar. And again, he wanted something unique. He wants acreage. So he got a half acre. He was offering on a property that was a half acre. It was a manufactured home. It went, he lost out. I don't know how high it actually went. He went $31,000 over list. It was listed for 430. He went to 461 and didn't get the property. So there doesn't necessarily seem to be rhyme or reason other than the ones that are getting that kind of bidding that I'm seeing, there's something unique about them that there's a bigger bidding pool, um, but still not really seeing anyone getting you know huge discounts on properties either.
0: No, understood, understood. Uh, let's see here. Next chart, also um, weekly uh, inventory coming to the market. I like this chart because you can kind of compare it back to you know this time last year to see where you were. So if you're going back, looking in early part of January, inventory was coming to the market at a quicker pace than than it is at the moment. But we did see a couple of weeks there where inventory went up and then kind of went back down again. But then we started to see mid, you know, what, mid-February was really where we started to see inventory kind of go up and up and up. This time, um, you know, we're starting to see the beginning of February. We're nowhere near the numbers that we saw last year. It'll be interesting to see if March, you know, brings more inventory because we're not seeing it come on um anywhere close to we you know to where we did last year price reductions looks to be moderating a little bit um price reductions have come down uh we're sitting around 40 percent. only 31 percent of sellers are out there having to reduce prices at the moment a lot of that had to do with interest rates coming down buyers coming off the fence and buying property but it looks that line looks to be flattening a little bit i think if interest rates stay where they are now And properties you know are there sellers need to sell you're going to probably see some more price reductions have to come to the market um, if they are not priced correctly to start um interesting chart here just showing resale home purchase contracts receiving multiple offers so last year uh looking at um what is this i can't see on that so january of 2022 60 percent of the homes were receiving multiple offers nationwide only 25% are now, but 25%. So one in four is receiving some sort of multiple offer. And depending on where you're located there in the country, you can kind of see the different chart.
1: And Jim, I don't so know we'll where the, where one. this fits in on that, but yeah. it, it, most of the clients that I'm dealing with, they want, like we we're saying, the ones that are getting overbids, they have something unique about them. Either they're really nicely upgraded, they're a fantastic location, they have more land. Most Most clients out there, are are going after the ones. That's why they're getting multiple bids. They they're generally the unique higher end, not higher end in that your Beverly Hills, but in any city, you know, there's different cities, different neighborhoods, different schools, properties, and and for whatever reason, most of my buyers are more attracted to the ones that are going at a premium still.
0: And and I think it's important to note, guys, that when I'm the two buyers that I was talking about a moment ago, making multiple offers, putting a lot of money down. Um, one of the buyers we're closing today is putting, he's buying a 600 and what's the price of that property, Josh? 640, 640 ish. And he's putting about three, about half down 50% down 55%
1: 55 down.
0: Yeah. So huge down payment. So if the market goes down a little bit of value, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, he's there, he knows, you know, the, the risk he's there long-term, what have you, the other two buyers that I'm, I'm, uh, working with one's putting 30% down on a million dollar purchase. That's 300 grand. The other one is 17, 18% down, um, somewhere around a million dollars. So, you know, people are probably watching this going, well, what if the market moves, you know, goes down, these people are underwater. No, they're not because they're putting a significant and significant amount of money down. And most of these people understand the risk that are associated with buying a house in, in this market or in any market for that matter. Uh, But earlier, Josh, we were talking about inflation. Why is inflation still coming in a little bit higher than expected? Well, this is uh, rent and shelter uh, numbers. Um, Both are reporting uh, basically the core and the the headline numbers are reporting significantly higher than they were in December. In fact, both of these are record numbers, which is you know, coming into the inflation numbers, which is why inflation is reporting higher than expected. Now, with that said, we know rents are coming down. There's a lot of charts out there that show that rents are coming down. They just haven't been reflected um, in this data, right? Because how rent is reported is a landlord, you know, is typically under contract with, with a tenant for 12 months. At which point the end of that contract ends, they can adjust prices and what have you. It takes 12 months, four quarters for that to reflect in some of this data, um, which we're not seeing here at the moment. But as that number starts to come down, you're going to see inflation come down. This is another chart looking at um, the CPI annualized over three months. You can see core goods is actually negative, Um, negative. Services minus shelter, so excluding shelter is actually below that two percent target. Where shelter is the one that is pushing inflation higher.
1: And Jeb, when you said rents are coming down, it's truly it's not that rents are coming down, rents not are not coming going, down, going they're up at a much yeah. slower pace, yeah. they were going yeah. up rapidly, and that was very problematic for anyone. That's most of us even above and beyond a vehicle. I mean, we talk about the the number of people with with $1,000 or higher car payments now is an all-time high. But even at that, rents are well above that. It's the biggest portion of your income. So if you pay $2,000 a month in rent, it goes up 10%, it's 200 bucks. So it's a significant uh, amount of money. There's no sense, Jeb, for us in talking about it for those that are still renting at this point. But in 2015, 2017, 2019, 2021, we're saying, you should be fixing your housing cost. That's the reason for that. Even in 2020, 2019, if you had bought in Southern California with 3% down, 5% down, your payment would be more than it costs to rent that property. But we talk about all of the benefits and advantages that you have there. Now, after three, four years of large rent increases, rents in total are probably up 20% in that timeline. People that bought in 2019, 2020, even with minimum down, probably had a chance to refinance, get rid of mortgage insurance, lower their rate, or add a much lower payment. So the past doesn't always equal the future. But we've historically seen that you have an opportunity over time to lower your housing cost when you own Whereas a renter is always subject to increases over time.
0: No, absolutely. Um, in fact, the latest comment just came in here. We keep hearing a lot about the Northeast markets and how they're just crazy hot. Um, Harriet comes in and says New Jersey market crazy hot, 550,000 asking. Someone got 700,000 all cash, took the property on the second day of listing. So, guys, when we talk housing, we're talking locality to some extent, right? All real estate is local. What we know really, really well is Southern California real estate. We don't know New Jersey real estate really well. We don't know Florida real estate really well. We know Southern California real estate. So when we talk, a lot of the examples that we get are around Southern California real estate. Now, I'm not in any way telling you what's happening in Southern California is happening everywhere, but what I do um what i can say is that in talking to a lot of agents across the country about different markets all the time i know that our market is similar to a lot of other markets out there and so you know we're we're here to provide that information for you you got to make the best decision for you uh where you know depending on where you are in your life and what have you so we, we're sitting low inventory rates were lower it spurred buyer demand we got a lot of people off the market and and things moving now their interest rates are a little bit higher It'll be interesting. The next couple of months are going to be interesting because I don't think you're going to see a big move in rates until probably May um, just because of how inflation is reported, um, You know, just waiting on some of these things to actually click into the data and, and show. So that's the end of the spring selling season. And typically a time you're pretty close to where you would normally see the peak in, in inventory for the year um and so it'll be interesting are you going to see a lot of properties properties flood to the market or do we have this gridlock that Josh and I keep talking about and trying to to figure out how it solves itself where sellers have super low rates aren't going anywhere because why why do I need to sell my house when I have a three percent interest rate and then you know and looking at higher prices in, in in most of the nation so
1: Jeb, let's let's look at that, what you just said from a slightly different angle. You said gridlock. Um, I was listening to Scott Galloway's podcast. Um, they go through different financial news. He was talking about housing um, and, and he was talking about two different markets. I believe either in Colorado or Florida, he's looking for a second home. In that second home market, 60% of the homes are being paid for with cash. And then you look at, he flashed over to another account or another area and entry level buyers like you just can't qualify. so he was calling it a stalemate. He says, I feel like right now we have a stalemate between owners who don't want to sell or don't want to um, believe that that prices uh, are lower or that the peak value isn't what the home is worth. And then we've got people that are renters and that want to enter the market that want to own a home and they are hoping and expecting a crash. And we have a stalemate. And I'm I'm listening to it and I go, there's absolutely some truth to that. We talk about this every week, but that inventory number tells us it's not a stalemate. They're not putting a sign in the yard and saying, hey, I'm going to keep it out there until someone pays me my price. They're literally just not putting a sign in the yard. They're saying, I don't want to try in this market. I'm happy with where I'm at. You know, Jeb, you and I, we've talked about this on the show. Neither one of us would say our homes are our dream homes, but they're pretty darn nice so in in with the current status there's zero reason to move and i think a, a lot of potential sellers my wife that disagrees way. with you <laughs> your your wife says Josh, you are wrong and stop talking
0: my wife wants she she sends me a property every day so um who knows i'm surprised i still live where i do just because of that. Uh, I'm gonna put up a chart here just because you said something that made me think, um, Josh, while we're talking about this. And for those of you who listening on the um podcast, I apologize because we show some of the stuff and then you can't see it. But you just said something. You said sixty percent of the people buying homes in Colorado are paying them in cash. This article came from I forget which which news source, but basically says that f- All cash deals share above 50% of the market share in 13 cities, Atlanta being one of them. So there's a lot of cash out there, guys of people. That's who you're competing against in some of these markets. Now that's not everywhere. um, But in some of these markets, I mean, because people sold, they're sitting on money. They're waiting for these opportunities. That's some of it. Some of them are investors, although the investor share has dwindled a bit based on recent reports. Um, But you know, it's not just all people financing, financing property. Um, and, and I think that that gets a bad rap because people are like, Oh, he's buying a property. Now they're financing it. They're, they're going to be underwater. No, no, they're not. Especially if they're paying cash. So Josh, this is where we are. We're 24 minutes in the show. We haven't answered one question. Do you want to answer some questions? Do you want to answer some it questions? We don't of, have a lot, it, quite frankly. It is kind
1: of, we don't have a ton. We have a lot of comments, not many questions. Um, what I will say before we jump into that, Jeb, uh, you, we have the comment here, someone talking about New Jersey and what the New Jersey market is doing. Yep. Um, I hosted the Vetted VA Live last night where we talking about how to get a VA offer accepted in this market. And that conversation was, again, about how to get an offer accepted because it is not easy. You know, everyone wants to think, hey, home prices are down, sellers are just begging, wait, and hoping for a, an offer. That's not the case, but more importantly, uh, we had a gentleman from Florida and he said, it's a pretty balanced market there. Um, it's not, not super strong seller market like we had, not uh, a buyer's market by any stretch, but definitely not that strong seller's market that we had. Um, realtor from Maryland, she said, It's nuts everywhere uh, all through her market throughout the state of Maryland, um, multiple offers bids above ask um, more so than I had heard from from most folks. Um, And then had uh, another lady uh, loan officer in Maine. And she said, it's a pretty solid market. Most of my buyers are going up against other offers. I'm not saying it's the 10, 20 offers and massive overbidding. So like you said, we're not experts in all markets, but we do talk to a lot of people and it's interesting getting a feel for different markets. And It's sometimes surprising, like I was somewhat taken aback that Maryland would be that hot. It's hotter than what I'm hearing from almost anyone anywhere else.
0: Yeah, but you got to think of where it's located, right? So the D.C. market's always been like a super hot market, you know, northern Virginia area. And then Maryland obviously being, uh, you know, a close second to that to that market there. There's a lot of, you know, government, a lot of, um, you know, just people. It's kind of a tightly knit like little packed area there with a lot of people, um, you know, kind of in between what the South and and what most people consider the Northeast. So I see it. I see it. Uh, Rickless Cage has a question, says, I had an independent home inspection completed on a new construction under contract. How should I address the issues with the builder that the inspector found? So Here's the thing, typically if you're buying a house you have an agent representing you, your agent would normally have a conversation with you and say, okay, you know, what in here concerns you, what do you want addressed, what do you want fixed, how do we want to, you know, basically go about this and put that in writing on what we call a, you know, a request for repairs and we would send it to the listing agent on the other side. With a builder, you might not have an agent. You might be working with the builder directly. Now, if you have an agent, your agent can do the exact same thing that I just mentioned. If you're working with the builder, you have a representative with that builder that should be representing you. Even though they're representing the builder, they should still be representing you that, you know, where you can bring these issues to them. And then they should be you know, addressing them, putting something in writing and putting it to whoever can address those issues. Chances are the person that you're dealing with isn't the decision maker there, right? So there needs to be something put in writing and put in front of the person that is actually making the decision to decide how they want to move forward. With new construction, I can tell you that it should all be taken care of. These people have on-site contractors. They have people, trades people that they've been dealing with that should be addressing this stuff. So I would find it very, um, I would be very, uh, surprised if the builder didn't just take your punch list and, and deal with it quickly and get you moving on. Um, because essentially they, they, they have people that should be dealing with that sort of thing. All right, Josh, we have somebody asking about the tenure. John is saying the tenure is over 4%. Again, how high do you think it will go?
1: I would be surprised if it went higher than it did last year, but I would also say I wouldn't be shocked. Um, you know, normally, um, I again I follow people that are technicians and and track this stuff very closely and have a better handle on it. But it looks like we peaked somewhere four thirty five ish. Um, I think we stay below that. Um, but if I remember correctly, the next real technical support, if we gave up 434, 435 is somewhere around 460-ish. Um, and I would think that that, that would hold. Um, and what does that mean for for mortgage rates? Well, it can mean a lot of things. We, we showed the chart uh, a week or so ago um, that things were moderating in terms of the spread between the 10 year and mortgage rates, uh, normally somewhere between 1.7 to 2%. So, say 2% and a 4.6 10 year would put you at 6.6. 6. Well, we're already above that. So, the spreads could moderate and mortgage rates could stay the same, or we could see what we've seen here over the last year or two with a 2.3, 2.4, 2.5 spread, um, and a 4-6 would get you up well into the seven, seven and a quarter ish at that.
0: All right, there you go. Uh, Joyce asked the question, is it possible to get another mortgage loan if you're assuming the existing VA loan from a seller? The second loan would allow the seller to restore their full VA loan entitlement.
1: Before we answer the question, Jeb, let's dispel the myth here. The second part is absolutely not true. Um, The second mortgage would get them their equity out of the property. The only way to restore their entitlement is to pay off their VA mortgage. So if you assume it, um, you're, you're not restoring their entitlement. I shouldn't say that. If you are also a veteran, you can assume it and replace their entitlement with yours. But if you're a non veteran, assuming and not paying off that loan, we are not going to restore their entitlement. Now, that does not mean that they can't use their VA loan again. It means they're not going to have full entitlement and they may have to make a down payment depending on where they're buying and what that price looks like. But the big question here is it possible to get a second mortgage if we're assuming the, the VA loan? So let's say. Five years ago, a veteran pays $500,000 for the house zero down, they've paid it down to 470 in those five years and you want to buy it from them for $600,000 got $130,000 of equity in there. Can you get a second mortgage and assume their first mortgage? Yes, you can. So benefit there. You're going to get their awesome low interest rate on the first mortgage, and then you're going to pay a higher rate on the second. And you got to look at your blended rate. It can be an awesome strategy. We just wanted to be super clear on that, that you are not going to be restoring the veteran's entitlement unless you substitute your entitlement or pay off their loan.
0: All right. Um, Alex has a question of, are we worried that people are still willing to go over the asking price? Are we making the situation worse? I say, am I worried about that? I'm not worried about that just because I don't think it's going to be nearly what it was last year when, when all that of that was happening, pushing prices up way too fast. Um, it's always been a part of the market forever. There's always been, you know, opportunities where there's been multiple offer situations. Someone's had to go above the asking price in order to make a deal happen. And I feel like for the right property, for the right, you know, the person making that, if that's the right property for them. Yeah, if if going above the asking price is what you want to do and you're comfortable with with everything associated with that, why not? I mean, if I were making, if I found a house now that worked for me, and you know, I needed to go above the asking price to make it work, it's it's just part of the deal. Um, Now, if everybody does it all over the place, you know, across the country on every deal, yeah, it's a problem. But I don't I don't think that's going to happen. Jaden has a you know very profound thought here for us, Josh. If you were 18 again, how would you get started? Would you marry Angela?
1: <laughs> Twice. That's, <laughs> the, that's the best decision i made. The, that's the only decision I never doubt ever yeah, at any back. point in time. Uh, uh, if else you else were 18 again,
0: down. how would you get started investing with the current market?
1: 18. Well, let's hold on. I'm trying to get to the actual comment because someone, uh, an answer here. Came from a listener, a viewer, says I'd invest in dividends and a Roth IRA. And I actually corrected that there. But then also followed up, I really, I really liked what the answer was. It was hey, I started out with a thousand dollars and then was adding what I can add to it every month. It sounds insane, but one of the reasons why homeownership works is it is a get rich slow scheme. You buy, you make your payments, and in 15 years, you're like, wow, my payments really low relative to rent wow that two or three hundred dollars a month that was going to principal is now six or seven hundred dollars a month going to principal investing is the same thing if you're 18 and you can start with zero dollars and save a hundred dollars a month it doesn't sound like a lot it's twelve hundred dollars and you say in 12 years it's fifteen thousand dollars but you should get a return on that. And then the return starts generating a bigger return. And you're only 28. By the time you're 38, there's $75,000. You're 48, there's $225,000. So the key is just getting time on your side. If we're talking specifically about how to get into real estate, um, real estate's tough for an 18 year old. You don't have a work history. Now, Jeb, an interesting (laughs) and a funny question we always get, and it's usually in relation to college saying, Hey, just got a job. I make $80,000, but I've only been on the job for two months. I got my degree in June and it's August and I don't have the two year history. Well, your employment uh, history can compr- be comprised of your education history. So we can show you were in school for four years, getting educated, got a degree, and now got that job. Sounds crazy, but you can do the same thing with high school. Many jobs, you need a high school diploma. So if you get a job, that makes 30 $40 an hour straight out of high school good for you we can use that we can show you're in school full-time you got this job we have a two-year work history so I kind of went off track there but depending on where you're at you may or may not be able to qualify for homes in your area you know some parts of the country you can get a starter home Jeb we talked about the one that you found you know 18 months or so ago a nice little house in Arkansas for $120,000 You might be able to buy something like that if you're there and can own or occupy if you want to invest in that that single family is going to require at least 15% down. So if you were insistent on becoming a real estate investor at 18 my gut tells me it's going to be some type of creative real estate where uh, you're taking things subject to. you're doing all inclusive trust deeds. So it's it's kind of hard because we're saying, hey, you're a beginner and a novice. How do you get into something? Well, the, the easiest way is to go to the advanced uh, topics and dig into some of the stuff that they cover in depth on Bigger Pockets where you actually can get into homes without using your own money and qualifying. It's just not quite as easy.
0: Yeah. Everything Josh said is, is definitely true. I mean, I would just leave you with a quote, a thought, um, something I have plastered in, in, on my screen here in the office. And it basically says, we overestimate what we can do in a day, but underestimate what we can do in a year. But I would ask you to change those, you know, the the narrative there a little bit and just say, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 5, 10, 15 years. Like Josh said, like just getting in, everybody wants to be rich today. Everybody wants to be the investor that has a hundred properties today. Start investing, starting putting a little bit of money away. Like somebody said, put, you know, it doesn't need to be a $1,000 a month, maybe 25 bucks. Just start putting some money away so that you have something so that when the opportunity is there and you're ready, you have the money to be able to make that move and you're not scrambling on trying to have, you know, figure that out and think long-term real estate. Like Josh said, get rich slow. It It is thinking long-term and I'm not thinking about the idea of it being worth a lot more. But just thinking about paying it down and and going through that process, it takes time. Um, and, and with that said, you know you can put yourself in a very good position by starting at 18, because most people don't. It gives you,
1: like, think about that. You what have a happens, huge advantage. If, you're, if you can double your money every 10 years, every 15 years, starting 10 years before most people start gets you one more doubling at the end. You should end up with double the money of the person that puts off starting to save 10 to 15 years even if you're saving a relatively small amount
0: good good um really easy question to address here josh gonna throw this up there how many times can i use an fha loan
1: no limit whatsoever i actually had a listener to the show that we helped buy 18 months ago 24 months ago um and reached out and said hey i would like to buy they bought with a conventional loan i want to buy fha so fha has one weird quirky rule You can have two FHA mortgages at the same time, but if you have an FHA mortgage and you're not gonna sell or refinance out of that before you get the new FHA, you have to be moving 100 miles or more away to use rents from the departing residents. So let's say you bought your house for $300,000 with FHA financing, you now wanna rent that out because the rents will cover the mortgage and go buy another house FHA. To use those rents to offset the mortgage to help you qualify, you have to be moving at least 100 miles away. But in terms of if you pay it off, if you sell that house instead of renting it, can you use another FHA loan? Absolutely. You can reuse it as many times as you want. You can have multiple FHA loans. They just have to be owner-occupied. And they have to be more than 100 miles away from the last one.
0: All right. Uh, Kim has a question. Where do you see cities that have the most filing foreclosures happening right now? Honestly, don't know. Um, I just I haven't. Foreclosures aren't really a big thing at the moment. Um, not really a lot of them happening. Uh, you can go to Black Knight. Search Black Knight um, and go to their data report, it'll show the five or 10 cities or so that are, you know, the, the most likely to have negative equity and which in turn leads to more foreclosures and what have you. Um, but right off the top of my head, I, none of, you know, I can't think of a, a place where I'm seeing a, a ton come to the market. Josh, anything ring a bell?
1: No, nothing. Mean? But what I would say is Kim's been here repeatedly. Yeah. Um, educating herself, asking really good questions. I think the question behind the question there is, where are there some foreclosures where I could possibly get a good deal? I would push back against the logic there, it's intuitive on the surface, hey, if I can find a place with foreclosures, I can get something cheaper. If a market starts to have a preponderance of listings being foreclosures or more foreclosures than the market can easily absorb, you're probably looking at that market going to continue to go down. It's not stabilized yet. So unless you really are coming at the end of a wave of foreclosures and feel like you can pick the bottom, I would be super careful about looking at foreclosures. Right now with the current very low levels of foreclosures, it's just other inventory. So we have low supply, some of the supply is foreclosures, there's a lot of demand relative to the amount of supply and therefore they're selling for market prices. You're not really getting any discount from foreclosures um, and it's not because they don't exist it's because there just aren't enough listings uh, period.
0: Good. That's good. Good thought. Uh, Dina asked the question of, is there a potential that the government will intervene again like they did during COVID that caused rates to decrease significantly? You know, here's the thing, Josh, I think a precedent has been set to some extent that the government will bail you out and it's not a good precedent to set um, in any way, shape or form. Now, Does that mean they'll do it in the future? No, it doesn't. Does it mean there's a likelihood they'll do in the future? Not necessarily. Does it mean there's a possibility? Absolutely. If you would have asked me four years ago if the government could shut down the entire economy, send everybody checks, and do, I would have said no chance. There's no way that can happen. It happened. Um, And here we are today, right, having this conversation. So is it possible? It's definitely possible. Uh, I just don't know what the likelihood of that happening again. Um, I think it's low. I I hope that it's low. Uh, But Josh, what are your thoughts?
1: I'm with you. I hope that it's low. I don't know how low it is. I I think it will absolutely happen uh, again. Because if you don't, you put your hand on the stove and you don't get burned, what's going to keep you from putting your hand back on the stove? The biggest thing, the biggest issue that we have that came from this, this was crazy, Jeb. So I started thinking, I, from 2008 to 2012, primarily flipped homes. I still had my database. I would do some loans for clients, but I wasn't actively seeking loans. Well, when stimulus comes in, rates drop really low. We're like, well, this is kind of dumb. There's a lot of people out there that want loans, and I'm fairly good at doing loans. I should do that. Because you're sitting there, and at the time, we're sitting here going, oh, this wave will come to an end. I mean, four, four and a half, we've got everyone refinanced somewhere between three, seven, five and four and a half. And if you had told anyone at that time, like, hold my beer, you've seen nothing, and not only have you seen nothing, within seven years, the Fed will come in far more aggressively and drop rates well below where we're where we are right now. Everyone would have said you're absolutely insane. So from today, looking out the the the, the front windshield of our car, you're going, no, that's all behind us. That's what craziness. kind of car are we
0: driving? I'm more interested in that. It's, what you are you we driving? Right
1: now? You have a Tesla, my friend. No, but what
0: we do in this, we're we're like we're in. You know, we're dreaming. What kind of car are we driving?
1: I'm not I'm not dreaming. I'm just dealing with with moving down, moving down the road forward. So do I see it coming in the the foreseeable future? No. What we're talking about right now is we to get inflation under control. So it seems inconceivable that they would do that. And what I would say that hopefully the government has learned their lesson they have made we talk we pay lip service to income inequality to to wealth inequality not just income just inequality period and what have we done we made it worse the people that owned assets those asset values were inflated by low cost financing so those that had have more those that don't are sitting here saying now i can't even get into the house and participate in in that so you know, it, 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 solved the problem. It created what I would almost consider bigger problems. So the answer is, I think they will do it. And probably sooner than we would expect, um, just depending on what next crisis comes down the line, but hopefully they've learned and will moderate it and do less for shorter instead of what we did in COVID, which was too much for too long.
0: There you go. Uh, Luis says South Florida houses, even with these rates seem to be holding extremely strong. What do you think? So, Here's the thing. I think what you're seeing now with rates isn't actually reflected in the market yet. Um, it's not reflected in the data yet. It's going to take a couple of months for rates of rates staying higher to see how they're actually impacting the market. Now, with that said, does that mean South Florida can't stay strong? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means I don't think we've seen. So don't look at the data now thinking, this is the data of of what the market's going to do for the rest of the year i mean 30 days ago 45 days ago there were news articles everywhere talking about the housing bottoming because rates had dropped and demand had spurred you know almost immediately with that drop in rates well guess what rates went back up so now the the narrative has changed and it's you know the the bottom is not here yet so on and so forth so just again buy when it's the right time in your life and um and not not worry about the the headline, so to speak. John, uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: We've got another comment here, and it kind of relates kind of back to to what we were talking about. And it's hard for people to get in the market. So Esmeralda says, I'm just about to close on a brand new manufactured home. Sigh, I wish it was stick built. True most people would prefer a stick-built home versus a manufactured home, but you've made the decision that owning your home is more important than having the exact home that you want. And one of the reasons why we talk about the difference between CPI and PCE and why PCE is the feds preferred measure is because they uh, take into account something called the substitution effect. If the price of bread gets too high, then people will buy less bread and they'll eat something else. They'll continue substituting. So in this instance, we may see things like manufactured homes get more expensive relative to single family homes as more people who would prefer a stick-built home end up buying manufactured homes. And we're seeing a, a lot of this. People are changing their behaviors, buying patterns. We had a comment, Jeb, a month or two ago, someone goes, oh, 650,000, you must be looking at Compton. We're like, good luck, brother, because Compton ain't $650,000 and hasn't been for a while. But we have people, how do homes in Compton get to 750 or $800,000? People that make pretty darn good money have decided, I can't live in Ladera Heights, so I'll live in Compton. So that's what you see. They're substituting neighborhoods. They're substituting types of properties. And um, it's, it, it's, it's a tough decision in terms of buy, not buy. If you're going to rent, how do you overcome some of the advantages that those that own homes have? You know, Jeb, we're going to do an episode of the podcast, just like okay, if you don't buy now, is there ever going to be a better time? And that's not, listen, we're not saying now is the best time. We're saying, is there going to be a better time? And what would have to happen for there to be a better time for you to enter in? Because really the whole purpose of the show here is the educated home buyer. I think Jeb thinks over a lifetime, everyone should be a homeowner, but it doesn't mean you should always buy right now. It's helping you make the best decision for you of when the time is to become a homeowner.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Alvin says, "What do I do to upgrade my house to get a higher value? For example, kitchen or putting a pool at the backyard." I live in California, so here's the thing: um, what you need for your house to go up in value is for your neighbors' houses to go up in value. For one, um, that's really a, a, a big part of it. But you know, do you get dollar for dollar? what you put into a house with regards to, to adding value? And the answer is no. If you do a $50,000 kitchen remodel, your house isn't automatically worth 50,000 more. Maybe it's worth five ten thousand $10,000 more. But it really comes down to comparing your property to another property that has sold in order to increase that value. So yes, things like kitchens, things like bathrooms, they add value to your property. Now do they not,
1: add 100% of the expense of doing it,
0: Jeb? Do they? Is that what can
1: they? Can they? Do they? If I spend forty thousand dollars on no. a new kitchen, is my house worth forty thousand dollars more?
0: No, no, no. Were you there when I talked about that? Where were you uh, d- moonlighting over there a moment ago when I said that? I
1: was trying to, to research some some data here. So we we have <laughs> so so data Josh
0: data. was moonlighting on my on my answer to the question, uh, but no, I- exactly. So you know, a fifty thousand dollar kitchen, like we said, might add five ten thousand dollars to the value of your home. Pools are one of those things that a lot of people are misinformed about because pools are expensive, <laughs> you know, $75,000, $100,000, you know, addition to do a pool, sometimes many, you know, two, three times over that, depending on what you're doing to the backyard, you don't get that back in value. It is, It you do these things because you want to enjoy them yourself. So that's part of the reason that you do, you know, the pool or, or the upgrades is because you want to enjoy them. Are, are they going to make your property worth more? Sure. But, Again, it's not going to be dollar for dollar. So look at what homes around you are selling for compared to your home that have the nice kitchen, that have the pool in the backyard, and and you can get an idea of if you did that to your house, what your house would likely be worth in that environment. Now, again, it's going to be hard to compare it apples to apples without having a realtor kind of guide you through that, but give you a really good idea. Hopefully that's helpful.
1: And, and Jeb, I think the question behind that question was, hey, I I want to invest in my home and make it worth more. There's better ways to invest that money. Um, It it just you're not going to, unless you have a distressed property where the kitchen is awful, then putting a nice kitchen in it probably would get more than a dollar for dollar uh, uh, improvement out of that. But for most of the things, if you have a middle of the road 20 year old bathroom or kitchen, it's going to cost more to replace it than it is going to give you value back out of it.
0: Yeah, but no, I mean, you know, my wife and I always talk because, you know, we're always talking about doing different things to the house and we got unfinished projects and all those things, different things and it's funny because when I walk into somebody's house that has some outdated things and they're getting ready to sell it, they're willing to do all of these things to sell the house. They're really willing to do kitchens and bathrooms and and paint and redo the roof and all of this stuff but they never enjoy it. They never get to the opportunity to enjoy it. They're just doing the improvements so that they can get more money for the house. Our whole thing is do the improvements while you're there so that you can actually enjoy the new kitchen. Enjoy the fact that you have a pool in the backyard. And at the end of the day, it's, it's gonna net you more money. It's just hard to say how much without knowing the market that you're selling in, what homes around you are selling for, and all that good stuff. But hopefully that's helpful. Josh. What is a DSCR loan? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Debt service coverage ratio is what the acronym uh, abbreviation is there. Uh, what is it? Can you use it in California? You
1: can use it anywhere. There's literally lenders doing debt service coverage ratio loans everywhere throughout the country. The thing is you cannot use it to buy an owner occupied property. We can't say, hey, if I had to, I could rent it for $3,000 a month because that's what it is. Basically, whatever the rents are, You have to have a coverage ratio of the payment sometimes it's it's one one to one so if you have a three thousand dollar rent market rent you can have a three thousand dollar payment some will let you go beyond that they start getting more restrictive the terms get even worse most of them want it to be less than what the rents are they would like your mortgage payment to be less than what the rent is but it's an investment property loan that says i'm going to buy a home as an investment that's going to generate rent. And rather than me showing my ability to repay, the property is showing its ability to repay. So unfortunately, it's not going to work for anyone doing owner occupied, but you can do it pretty much anywhere in the country. Not all lenders do them everywhere, but there are lenders doing them
0: everywhere. Awesome. 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 So been on the show about an hour tonight. Um, I'd like to ask a favor if you're finding any value in the show at all. If you find any value in Josh and I taking our time to help you guys, do me a favor and hit that thumbs up uh, if you haven't done so already. Maybe you're not aware we do have a podcast called The Educated Homebuyer. Every Tuesday we post an episode completely separate than anything that's posted on this channel that talks directly about educating homebuyers. This past week we talked about down payment. You know everything around down payment. Where does it come from? Where it, you know how do you get it if you don't have it? Um, all of that good stuff, right? So, 30 minutes or so of that episode. And each week we do a different topic. So, go check that out. You can find it on the Educated Homebuyer podcast. And then on Friday, we take that, we take this episode that we're recording at the moment and we take the audio from it uh, and put it on the podcast so that you can listen to it in audio form if you so choose. And, um, Yeah, so hopefully you're finding value in that. I know a lot of you guys are reaching out, thanking us, so we appreciate the support there. There also is a YouTube channel for the Educated Home Buyer if you want to watch the videos versus watching or listening to the audio. Um, So you can find that by searching the Educated Home Buyer out there. So if you're going to do that, subscribe to that channel as well. Um, Josh. Any, anything else you want to add before we get I, I have a
1: special request in relation to the other YouTube channel. I was yep. looking at our demographics here, and the demographics of the Educated Homebuyer YouTube channel is 88.5% male. Yet I look here, I see Kim Smith, I see Gloria T, I see Dina Mastin, uh, Anya, we have Esmeralda. We have lots of women here asking lots of great questions, but apparently they don't like watching us on YouTube. We truly have faces for podcasts. They like listening to us. <laughs> But, there you go. Uh, that
0: that all works. That all works. Doesn't matter how you get the info, as long as you get the info. All right. Um question Kim has a really good question. Um something I talk about all the time. Says if you see a property on Zillow and it shows one picture and it's not so appealing, is that a bad sign? The answer is an absolute resounding yes. That is a horrible sign. If you only see one property, one picture on any platform and you know you can usually look at the picture and then you could read the description and you can get a really good idea of what that property is offering. Um, usually one picture means it needs a lot of love. There's nothing more to show than that front picture. Not always, not a hundred percent of the time. So just understand, take take my comment um with a grain of salt. But it is uh usually a an indicator of a home needing a lot of work. Is it is it always that, or is it sometimes a lazy realtor? Could be that. Could be a lazy realtor. I I, I would find it very difficult if I were a seller and I hired you as my realtor and you posted one shitty picture of the front of the house, like I would understand if my house was awful inside and I'm like, Hey dude, this is <laughs> I'm the a hoarder. Best. Don't show I, the inside. of my I house. understand what you're doing here. You did me a favor by not showing the rest of the house, but if I have a beautiful house, I want you to show it. So there would be a problem there. So I'm going to go out and say, it's not a lazy realtor. It's a realtor doing their buyer. A favor or their seller a favor rather by not showing the home how's that uh right josh we had, some, we had some good questions tonight um dina has a question the difference between a loan modification versus refinancing so this is a pretty easy one to address so
1: refinancing you are replacing that loan you are with a current lender and a current servicer you're getting a new lender to make a new loan to you and replace that loan with a modification You're going back to the lender and saying, hey, I've got issues, i got problems. Not always. I'll give you a specific instance, when it's not problems. But in general, we're saying, hey, I can't make my payment as is. Will you help me out? Can we do this? A specific type of modification that we talk about on the show occasionally is a recast. If you make a large principal reduction, you can go back to your servicer. So in the current market, let's say you have a 3% 30-year fixed for $500,000 you inherit two hundred fifty thousand dollars from aunt sue you don't know where to invest it you pay your mortgage down to 250. well your payment doesn't go down on a fixed rate mortgage it would on an adjustable but not on a fixed you can go back to the lender and ask for a recast well technically that's a modification they're keeping your loan in place they're drawing up a modification agreement they saying here's a new payment schedule but what happened in the last downturn People were underwater and they went back to lenders and said, hey, I'm underwater. I'd like to stay here. I'd like to make payments. Would you rather go through the expense of foreclosing on me, reselling my home and hoping you get more for it? Or would you rather say, hey, I owe you $400,000. Let's write it down to $300,000 and go from 6% to 4% interest and make a more manageable payment. And that happened some. It did not happen a lot. If we ever get into a similar market, I think lenders learned that they took more severe losses by not cooperating with loan mods. And we would see more of them in, in any future downturn.
0: Good stuff. Orange Pulp has probably the best comment of the night, it says one pick rule also applies <laughs> to dating sites. <laughs> <laughs> what very, about, very the, true. What There's only one picture site. on the dating profile. You probably want to stay away. Um, another easy question here. Uh, Darren says I have a four bedroom, one bath house. Do you guys think adding a half bath would increase my home's value dollar for dollar? Or would this be the case where I spend 15 to add 10 K? No, I think in those circumstances where you're adding a bathroom, um, that would increase your value, um, more than probably it depends. I mean, again, if you're spending $50,000 to, to build a bathroom, maybe not, but if it's costing you 10 to 15,000 to build it, I think that probably reflects reflects in your value. But the easy way to, to to compare is find your market, find four two bedroom, two-bath homes with comparable square footage, find out what they're selling for. And then you can get a really good idea. Okay, my house is worth this, that house is worth that. Am I getting the value? But here's one of the thing that I mentioned a moment ago. By adding that second bathroom, chances are it's going to improve your life. So It's not just a dollar for dollar upgrade or, or, uh, you know, add in value that you're getting. It's a life upgrade by having a second bathroom, in my opinion. So just something to keep in, keep in mind. Yep.
1: What I would say from having flipped a ton of houses, uh, a thing that comes into it, the cost like you mentioned is probably the most important, but then also what does it do to the floor plan? Some four bedroom, one bath homes have a perfect location for uh, an extra half bath or a three quarter bath. Some of them you would throw off the whole flow of the house and it may not get you that back, but hopefully there's somewhere logically uh, for it to go in the house and you can keep it at a reasonable cost because yeah, most people, it's especially with four bedrooms you're assuming you have a number of of people living in that house it's tough to live with one bathroom jeb could you guys with 19 kids live with uh, one bathroom no chance
0: well you know it's funny probably because we are all in the same room all the time like we could live in a in a the same bathroom you
1: just go in the same bathroom dude it
0: doesn't when somebody's showering everybody's in the room for some reason i don't know like they have a nice bathroom they they choose to use our shower Everything, we talk about it all the time. It's like, why why do we need a bigger house? We're always within like 300 square feet of each other. So, um, but for bathrooms, you know, people do things in bathrooms. You just don't want to go behind them. And uh, it's nice to have additional bathrooms, if you know what I mean. Uh, Anya has some a question about China. And then we have another one here. It says, what do you think about China's foreclosure crisis? And then we have Robert coming in saying, supposedly there is trouble looming in the housing market in China. Would that domino affect the U.S. prices since China, U.S. is interconnected? I say no. Um just because China has been doing crazy stuff with housing for years. I mean, they have entire cities that are unoccupied that built and nobody's ever lived in and I think China has a way of falsifying information, not providing information um in order to save face and what have you. So, you know, Does it come over here? I don't know how it would affect here because U.S. housing market, you know, U.S. U.S. citizens aren't invested in in the housing market in, in China, if you will, whereas you have a lot of Chinese that are invested in the U.S. housing market. So if something happens here, that could affect the net worth of those individuals. But I don't think it goes the other direction. Josh?
1: I would say paradoxically, it would be a good thing for us in the United States in the sense that when the Chinese economy is firing on all cylinders, manufacturing is at at peak levels, construction is at peak levels. They are using a lot of natural resources and causing global natural resource inflation. We're again, hoping to get inflation under control here. So no one's building when you have a foreclosure crisis or a property crisis. Like Jeb said, it's really hard to, to read into the books and their industry there, um, a lot of this is financed with government debt or companies that are quasi-private but really financed by the government. So it's hard to read in too much to it. But if they had a, a property crash and, and it in negatively impacted their economy, it would, to me, be a positive for us here.
0: All right. Uh, Esau, Esau? This is the question of the night, Jeb. No, a minute, it, for it's reasons. a great question. Uh, it says, for the, for the self-sufficiency test, are the rents calculated at market rent or the current tenant rent. This is ca- this is California FHA loan for a quadplex. So I'm going to give some background here, Josh, you can answer the question, okay? Unless you wanted to give it all and just explain what self-sufficiency is. Why don't you just go ahead and, and handle the whole thing? So what is, let me start by saying, what is self-sufficiency when it comes to FHA?
1: So the reason why I say this is the question of the night is I get people calling me all the time. They want to buy their first home They're in Southern California, a high price market, and to mitigate that, they want to buy a three unit, a four unit building. FHA has a little known test called the self-sufficiency test that Esau here is aware of. And what that means is that let's call it a fourplex, all four units, the rents from those four units, despite the fact FHA is owner occupied, you have to live in one of them. We take the market rents, not the current rents, we take the market rents and multiply them by 75%. That 25% haircut allows for a vacancy and expense factor, and your mortgage must be less than 75% of the rents from all of the units. In high priced areas like Southern California, like the Bay Area, like many other parts around the country, it is almost impossible to get a house, uh, a a three to four unit building to pass the FHA self-sufficiency test. So the good news ESA, you get to use market rents. The market rents are defined by the appraiser. You're gonna do a market rent survey. They're probably not gonna actually get you the real market rents. We talked about earlier in the show, rents are moderating, but still sky high. You're gonna go, bro how are you seriously telling me that's what my market rents are when I can't go in that neighborhood and rent one of those for that price um, you're going to get a number that's that's below what you would be able to rent for in the area but better than the the rents that you're getting on the property it's going to be really really, difficult. Now, for those of you who are not playing here in California, good news for you. i got a buddy in Minnesota. He does two or three of these a month, every month, helping millennials getting into three and four unit FHA, three and a half percent down because the rents are, are lower than California, but they're higher relative to the purchase prices.
0: Good stuff. I'm just glad I have on pants because I got up and walked away, and that would have been really embarrassing, Josh, if I stood up and not had pants. <laughs>
1: most on. most weeks, Jeb doesn't wear pants, so this is a shock That would have been all of that
0: us. That would have been a surprise to everyone. Um, let's see here. I had a good question. I was going to click on it. Boston. Aaron
1: said he actually lives alone in the uh, four bedroom, one bath house. So he really doesn't care, but he thought, yeah, it but be you, like you said, though, it's, it's
0: a lot of bedrooms, one bath. I think resale, most people are looking for two baths. So I think for recent, it adds value, but it also gives you a larger pool of buyers to choose from when looking for properties, right? Because there's just less people willing to take a one bath. Once you have that second bath, there's you, you open your pool of buyers. If you had maybe 10, now maybe you have 20 30 100 because you have a second bathroom
1: my my flipping brain and also being that you're living in the property says are there two of those bedrooms that can logically be combined and build a master suite in there with that and jeb may say never ever ever give up a bedroom but a lot no, of No no I think that's okay especially a 4 and 1 a lot of times those bedrooms are small and you don't have a true master um, it can be, we're not allowed to call them masters. What do they call primaries is primaries. a primary bedroom. So I apologize. I refuse to, about.
0: to, to, to go with the new lingo. So I still say master.
1: Okay. Well, primary master. Um, most people want that. They want a bigger room with an attached ensuite
0: bathroom from this So craziness. if you can
1: do that, and so you have the full hall bath and now you have a master primary bedroom, it's the old habits die hard here, Jeff. Um, good.
0: <laughs> it's really amazing how one person perceives a word and it changes the whole dynamic of the word
1: I had never heard of anyone being offended by it before we were told we're not allowed to use it anymore I can understand the logic of someone saying hey that's what this came from yeah I, I, I get it now like that. I
0: understand where it came from but if you don't if you're not offended by it like what is it like I don't know we're talking we could go down a rabbit hole. I should start it we should start a podcast like that
1: questions with no answer
0: we could go down a rabbit hole um question from carly says how do comps work for a three thousand square foot house in a very small town of 12 to 1700 square foot homes maybe a few others are comparable in size but no recent sales um part of that you know they'll adjust for square footage um you know on a price per square foot basis so that's part of it Ideally, they want to find properties that have sold. Maybe there are no 3,000 square foot homes that have sold in the last three months, six months. They'll go a little bit further out and find one that did sell. Maybe it's a little bit longer time frame and do a time adjustment on it as well. It's hard to say because each little market's a little bit different and how lenders and appraisers will look at them a little bit different and what they want to see in an appraisal. Um, but th- there's ways to adjust and it, it really comes down to, you know, making that square footage adjustment or, or, or finding something that has, um, you know, sold in the past and, and, and making that adjustment be a good question for an appraiser, uh, honestly, um, to see how they do it. But I would think maybe those are two of the things they would have said. I don't know. Uh, another question coming up along, um, having bigger properties. How do I make a decision? Should I add to my house to make it bigger, love the location, or should I move to a bigger house, but not the ideal location in East OC? I always say live where you want to live. Live if you love your location, add on to that property. It's usually less expensive to add on to your property than it is to go out and find a property that is larger in size. And there's two things here. One is usually you're paying for um, a more expensive property in most cases um, to do that. Now, some cases, depending on what you're adding on, it might cost more than than it does to go find that. But you're saving on your property taxes too. So if you bought a house that you've been in for any significant period of time, your property taxes are also going to be based off when you bought that house. And so by buying a new house, your property tax is going to be based off the new amount, um, and therefore you're paying more unless, again, you're you know taking prop 60, 90, 19, whatever the prop you're you're using here in California. You're not taking the full basis, but that's a whole different question. So I think it's better to stay in the location and add on if you can, if you can do it um, and really love the location that you're in.
1: Well, I'm assuming forever. that that the the viewer is in Orange County, so this might yeah. not be the ideal location in Orange County. Lowest price home you're going to have in Orange County, $750,000, $800,000, say it's $700,000, 5% selling costs, which would be on the low end between commissions, everything It's $35,000. That gets you half of the way. A third of the way to a fairly nice addition so from that perspective i definitely think you're you're in a better spot with that and i would much rather add on than move to a, a subpar location or a less than ideal location
0: there you go there you go there you go um ooh. i mean we've got eric saying the only thing that is more sexual than real estate is computer science
1: they're both pretty uh, spicy. They're both you pretty know, spicy that's, topics. Uh, Jeb is a computer science major, so that should tell you. That sells about, real estate. That so sells just real estate. Make... Exponential Woo! increase in his potency.
0: Wow. You guys are, pheromones are going crazy over here.
1: I, we just can't make... get these people's minds out of the gutter. Kim says, I'm not looking for anything with one bathroom, not when it's two men and myself. She shares a, a, a home with two men. <laughs>
0: uh hopefully got, it's a three bedroom maybe so it's her son dude maybe she has a son either with way her, I she's everyone in everyone
1: their room and privacy oh
0: my goodness bathroom. where are you going with this whole thing josh let's see um what's a smarter use of lender credits that you have available right now so josh you have lender credits is the smarter move to buy down the rate is it to pay for closing cost is it to do both what would you recommend? I know it's you hard to have, say about.
1: Yeah it's, yeah, it's hard to say period. If we had all of the information, there, there's not an easy answer. If you believe that rates are going to be lower in the future, I would not pay for a permanent rate buy down. For the most part, if you want to buy your rate down a half percent, it costs two points. Ask anyone in November who paid two points that they could have you know done that for free in January if they were happy about that. Now, again, we're a month later and we're somewhere in the ballpark of where we were in November. It's hard to say. So we've talked about this before. A temporary buy down, that money goes into an escrow account. And anything that isn't used with your monthly buy down payments, when you get to the point that you have the opportunity to refinance, can come back to you. Um, Paying closing costs eliminates the cost of that mortgage, frees up money to refinance later on if rates are going to go down. The permanent buy down, I would only do if you felt like rates are going to stay at this level or higher for the foreseeable future, and you're not going to have much of an opportunity to refinance. Your break even period on paying points. Lenders are very smart. You have one loan, and you can say, I know what's going to happen with me over the next five, six, seven years, but things change when it's one person. Lenders know when there's 20,000 mortgages in a pool, pretty clearly on average, what those 20,000 people are going to do. So when they price, buy downs, permanent buy downs, they're priced pretty accurately, because on average, it's going to be a five and a half, six and a half year break even. So to them, you know, we do a thousand buy downs out of 50,000 loans in this pool. At the end of the day, it's all going to even out and we're going to break even. But for you, if you're going to pay for a permanent buy down, you need to make sure you're going to be there for a while. And you're not going to have the opportunity to refinance, which requires a crystal ball, which I believe rates will be lower in the next two, three, five years. And there will be a refinance window from this. But obviously, there is no guarantee with that.
0: I love it. Anya is telling me to take my own advice and add an addition versus buying a house. And this is something that we've talked about. The problem is the addition that we would add on to our house doesn't add enough square footage to really um, for the cost of what can it costs a, to add can on you do
1: a two-story addition can. in that section. You can do you
0: can, but it, it puts the master bedroom in a weird like you're gonna have a room off your mat? Like what it it just it creates a weird uh what I think is a is a weird addition. I, I don't know. Um so we've thought about it. Is it something we'll do? Maybe it's like we love the location of where we are but you know I don't see us being in that property forever. Um, and so, you know, what I know would happen is as soon as we started the addition or we're halfway through it, the right property would pop up and you'd be like, why did I do that addition? So just kind of seeing what happens here with inventory over the next, you know, little bit and uh, make a decision from there. But I, I like you giving me my own advice. I appreciate that.
1: Kim, Kim clarified it isn't a buff board situation, just her husband and son.
0: Ah, uh, there you go. There you no, go. No crazy uh, lifestyles around here. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Andrea, Andrea says, I'm a first time home buyer in Iowa meeting with lenders in the next couple of weeks. Are there specific questions I should be asking as it relates to the current market? So when talking to a lender, um, I think it's less about the current market so much. Um, The lender isn't really giving you um, an update on the market, I wouldn't think. I mean maybe if you're talking to Josh, and you ask the question of the market, he might give it to you. But most lenders are, you know, trying to help you with your financing or what have you. Um Josh, what questions do you think are are important for someone to ask you?
1: Well, when I when I read that question saying current market, maybe she's thinking in terms of that last question. Hey, if I get points from the seller, uh a credit from the seller, what should I apply it to? How do I use it in the current market? What's ideal for me? What do you expect coming down the line in 6 is 12 a, months?
0: Is that an interview question? Um or 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 not i I say no
1: it can be because if you're talking to someone and they have no no not just an opinion everyone has an opinion if they don't have an educated and informed opinion can tell you why they believe what they believe it can separate options so what i would say jeb the first thing that she should do is fill out the link and get connected with one of our preferred experts um because what what i can say is I get a lot of people reach out jeb after the fact you know they're a week or two away from closing things didn't go the way they wanted it to they were told one thing and it's this or like i said the other week i get people asking me questions all the way along the process of doing a loan with someone that was not me or someone that we recommended and again i'm not saying that i'm the only person or the people our network are the only good ones but i would absolutely include one of those people in your your interview process because they should be able to give you a feel I'm not going to tell you the same things about the market as Jeb is because his job is to give you value, location, school districts, that type of stuff. My job is to tell you money wise, what does this loan do over the long haul relative to this one? If we have a, a lender credit or a seller credit what does that do for us how does that change it so hopefully it's someone that's taking the time to walk through everything with you and educate you on your options and you get the feeling like jeb we've talked about this probably three weeks in a row now don't just make your decision on terms they should absolutely have good terms but don't go with someone that has the lowest terms Go with someone who has good terms someone who you have a good rapport with that listens to you hears you and answers you And that you feel has knowledge and expertise. So, when you're going through that interview process, make sure the person that you're deciding to work with in the long run checks all three of those boxes.
0: Yeah. And and you want to ask the questions how long have you been in the business? You know, who am I working with in this transaction? Um, You know, maybe, you know, after you take the loan application or what, like, who am I talking to? Who's going to update me? You know, are you going to be available to answer my calls? You know, Do you text, call, email, that sort of thing? Do you work on the weekends? I mean, these are all things that I don't know that that need to be a certain answer for every single one of them, but it's things that you should know and be able to compare people kind of across the board um, in addition to just getting a feel for people. like I feel like you can tell in having conversations whether whether somebody, um, you know, is engaged wants to have that conversation is is there for you you know and and wants to help and and all of that right so you know use a little bit of the feel as part of it as well um but get a referral start with a referral um whether it's from a friend family member someone who's been through the process recently from the link that's scrolling the bottom however and just compare a couple of people and and go from there and you'll be in good shape um we answered that already, Josh. This is a good question. Um, I have a VA loan on both of my properties. If rate drops, can I refinance both properties to a conventional loan to free my VA? First house has 400000 uh equity. And second house was purchased last August as a second home. I use my remaining VA eligible. eligibility. I'm unsure if there's equity since it was Both the last August. So bottom line is, can you refinance a VA loan into a conventional loan to free up the uh, uh, entitlement there for, for VA?
1: Absolutely. It's a standard loan. There's no prepayment penalty with it. You can pay it off at any time. Um, One of the cool things that you brought up here, if there's any other veterans watching, many veterans think that if I've used my my VA loan entitlement, I cannot use it again without paying off or restoring that. That may be the case. If you bought an expensive home that required all of your entitlement for your guarantee, you may not be able to buy another one or you may need to put a down payment. But some folks uh, in lower priced areas Are able to get two loans with no down. Sounds like you may have fallen into that bucket. So, you, there's a secondary part of your question Can I go from a VA to a conventional? Absolutely can go from a VA to a conventional. But you asked under an LLC. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac make the vast majority of conventional loans, they will not lend to an LLC. We've also talked about this previously on the show. There's nothing preventing you from changing title from yourself as an individual under the LLC after you get the loan. But if you ever want to refinance again in the future, you're going to have to take it back out of that LLC because Fannie and Freddie will not loan to entities. They will only loan to individuals or revocable trusts.
0: Revocable or revocable? You can pronounce it either way, it's sort of like tomato, tomato, Jeb. <coughs> I I just I've never heard anybody say that. I was just just clarifying. I'm from North Carolina. So we think we say things weird. You say lots of things weird. Most of the time we don't know half the things you're saying. We say pecans. You probably say pecans or something like that. That's weird. You know, just saying Um, ZL has a question says if underwriters follow My throat is getting itchy. You want me me to take it? I'll
1: I'll just, if if underwriters follow the same guidelines, then why was I approved from one lender and denied it another? Reason was too many open cards in 2022. So you can open 9,000 cards. There is no loan program that says that guy has 9,000 cards. We cannot approve him for the loan. It can impact your credit score. And a lender may have an overlay where they don't lend to people with that credit score where another lender doesn't have that overlay. That can be the issue. You can be dealing with someone that is not interpreting the guidelines correctly. So either one lender to the next, an example, we're just talking about VA loans, the biggest VA lender in the country who bombards veterans all over the internet with ads, they will not do a loan with over a 45% (sighs) debt to income ratio. You can go as high as a 70-something percent debt-to-income ratio in certain circumstances under a VA. So they will tell you, oh, you don't qualify. You don't make the, meet the guidelines. And then you call an independent mortgage broker like myself. We go, eh, no problem. You're approved. So it can be an overlay where they literally have a policy that says we won't do that loan, even though Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, USDA will. Or you may be talking to someone who's just ignorant and doesn't know how to structure the loan or how to ask you the questions to get super clear on your situation to make sure that you do get qualified.
0: All right, good stuff. Uh, Kim has a question, says, when buying a condo, can you change things inside? Remodel. The answer is yes. Um, Typically speaking, anything done inside a condo doesn't usually need HOA approval. Um, You might need building permits from the city, but typically you can do that without having um any any sort of approval now i know there's condos in different markets and different uh guidelines and ccnrs and all of that good stuff that may require some sort of hoa approval for the inside but typically speaking you should be good to go
1: so jeb let me give you my experience on that we have a condominium in rancho mirage we bought it it was glorious 1974 original condition and we redid the entire thing moved walls all that fun stuff so for those of you who may know, if you're from Southern California, in terms of desert communities, Rancho Mirage is the older people desert communities. So all of the people on our condo board are like 80 year old uh, retired contractors who know all of the guidelines for contracting in the 1970s and 80s and nothing about current guidelines. So they were telling our contractor, our engineer, and the people at the city who had approved our changes that they didn't know what they were doing. So for us, that situation, because we were doing things structurally and not just you know, paint carpet, new cabinets, that type of stuff, um, it, it was an, an issue with them. They had to approve our plans, but we got to do whatever we want once we proved to them that they didn't know what the <coughs> codes were.
0: All right, Josh, Kim has a question about podcast uh, episode that talks about debt to income ratio. So can you pull that up there when you get a second? Um, we'll, we'll find the answer for you there on that one, Kim. A uh, flight simulation experience says we've seen price appreciation across the country that is unprecedented since the pandemic. Please make the case why or why if the housing or why it will or will not, I assume the housing market will crash. So I I don't see any any world in which the housing market will crash. Um, And, and it goes there's a number of reasons here um one is it's it's built on a completely different uh foundation than 2008. Um you know, you still have low supply in most markets out there. I think what I showed earlier says you have 429,000 homes across the US at the moment. condos, single family, townhomes, right? So no inventory, buyer demand is still there. So in the current environment even with rates high, a lot of markets out there are still receiving multiple offers. So you still have a supply and demand imbalance. Even though there's new construction coming to the market, you know, later in the year, five and a half months of supply, so on and so forth, you're still four or five million homes short of what you need to have um, a, to be able to, to, to keep up with, with the growing demand. So you have a lack of supply. You have, uh, many sellers out there sitting on super low interest rates. So let me back up. One thing you need for a crash to happen is you need a flood of sellers to come to the market. You need supply. You need excess supply. The The reason you're not going to have excess supply um, anytime soon is because, again, appreciation, right? A lot of these sellers have appreciation. But what people are thinking about is last time you had distressed sales last time. You know, in order for a an excess, a lot of excess supply to come to the market at one time, you need a lot of distressed sales to happen. That's not the, the the environment we're in, right? Because last time you had rates adjusting because people were on two and three year loans, rates were adjusting from interest only payments, sometimes negatively amortized payments, to fully indexed payments at much higher rates. Most people today have thirty year fixed loans. Now, with that said, there are people recently getting five-year, seven-year adjustable rates, but they're not interest only for the most part. Most of them aren't, I don't even know that you can do a two or three-year adjustable anymore. So you have longer fixed rate loans for one. Um, You got record equity in properties. You've got people, again, locking in 30-year fixed rates. You've got appreciation. You have a lack of supply. You got foreclosure sitting at record low levels. There's just, there's not a recipe. Now, Typically speaking, when somebody asks this question, the reason they ask this question, and again, I'm not saying this is you, but it's it's because people are priced out of the market, because they don't agree with where prices are going, because they can't afford it, it has to crash. And so that's not a recipe for needing a crash. The things that we talked about a moment ago are why crashes happen. and And at the moment, we don't have any of those indicators that said, that says a crash is, is it needs to happen, right? We've seen home prices pull back normal. We've talked about this for a year, year and a half. You're going to see home prices pull back because we saw 30, 40% appreciation in some markets out there. You know, when, what would normally happen over that two year period is maybe 8%, maybe 9% on the high side, you saw 40. That's not normal. So you have to have some pullbacks in prices again for wages to catch up, for, you know, just affordability to kind of catch up and get back closer to that trend. So, Josh, that was a long way of answering the question, uh, but I know you have some things to add to it.
1: I agree with everything you said. Obviously, we talk a lot. We're on the same page with this. But the, the question or what what happens over the long haul, everything will experience mean reversion. So the point that you made is indisputable. When we say on a nationwide basis, what what is it, Jeb, like 4.8, 4.9% over the last 70 years, historical annual appreciation?
0: Yeah, 4.7 or something like that.
1: 4.7, yeah. somewhere yeah. in that range. Well, we just came off of a three-year period where most areas are somewhere between 30 and 50%. So you get that in three years when we should have got 16 or 17%. What has to happen going forward? People say, well, it means it has to crash. It has to to have this huge drop. It does not for all of the reasons that Jeb listed. It does need to correct and it does need to revert to that mean. So my expectation would be for the foreseeable future, it wouldn't be reasonable to expect not just those outsized gains of 15, 20%. It might not be reasonable to expect 5% appreciation. We could have five years where the market goes nowhere. And the reason why that is the greater probability for, for, the mean for the market to revert to the mean is that we don't have this recipe. We don't have this forced selling. As Jeb said, people are sitting on record levels of nested equity at spectacularly low interest rates and rents are very high. So they will beg, borrow, steal, fight, scratch and claw to stay in their home. So someone has to be highly motivated to sell, which limits supply. Until we have a massive wave of forced selling of some sort, you don't have supply going up into a reduced level of demand that we have right now, due to low affordability, primarily due to high interest rates in combination with the high home prices. So do I think the premise that, that there needs to be some mean reversion is accurate? I absolutely do. I don't think it's coming from a crash. I think it's from an extended period of below trend growth. Maybe, and maybe there are some negative years, but it's not negative 15, negative 20%. It's negative two, three, 4% for three or four years. And that brings you back on trend. I'll try and do the chart next week, Jeb, if we project a a linear trend over the housing market. We didn't get anywhere near as above trend in this last bump from COVID as yeah. we were into the craziness of two thousand six, two thousand seven. So, is it above trend? Absolutely. Um, we have that we,
0: chart somewhere. I forget okay. where it is. Yeah, we'll
1: we'll pull it out next week because it's a great <laughs> question, and we do. We I do expect mean reversion. I just don't expect it in the form of a crash.
0: Uh, a comment here, and then uh, a question. Um, both are good, Rickless. Cage says, uh, is that a Texas Tech hat uh, helmet? Is that it, it is. is. Uh, Red people, Raiders. People don't want to hear it, but the market will not crash like it did in 0708. Many people bought or refinanced at very low rates. Very, very true. Uh, David has a good question, though. It says, what is the probability of buyers who, used, who use rate buy-downs falling into distress if interest rates do not significantly drop in the next couple of years? So some people out there. Are doing Now, one thing to note, David, is that people buying houses are still qualified at that that higher rate, right? So they're not qualified on the lower buy-down rate. So qualification-wise, they still qualify for the home, whereas back in 08, that wasn't the case in a lot of cases. You could qualify on the interest-only payment. You could do crazy sh- stuff back then. Um, but, Josh, what, what are your thoughts on interest rates not dropping, buyers not getting that, You know that opportunity to refinance if you will and payments going up are they then in distress and need to sell or are we talking about something that's not likely to happen
1: so david is obviously talking about temporary buy downs a permanent buy down is never going to change in the future so you don't have a problem you take two-point seller credit you buy the rate down a half percent you're fine no matter what happens with rates you take that two points and you pay for a two one buy down and you're two percent below the market for a year and then one percent below the market and then to market rate you're at least still fixed, you're not exposed to if the market were market rates were to increase, you don't have uh, a potential for something you are unaware of, but you're certainly going to be getting used to something where the payment is massively higher in year you know, after the 24th payment. So from that perspective, could there be some distress? Yeah, but as you said, Jeb, everyone is qualifying at the note rate, not the start rate. It was one of the big things that got pushed through um, post 2008 in that uh, we no longer will ever qualify someone off of best case scenario. We're generally gonna qualify them off of worst case scenario.
0: All right, good, good. Um, Lynn says, some say we can't negotiate HOA fees. What's your experience with HOA? Do these fees only go up? How do we lower HOA fees if possible? I'm looking to buy a new construction home. So can you negotiate them? No, you cannot negotiate them. Um, It is up to the board in your community to make the decisions on how much the HOA fees are. So why do HOA fees go up? Well, it's because the expenses, the cost to maintain that community typically go up over time. Inflation um, is is part of it. Reserves, having to build reserves to be able to pay for the, the replacements of things like streets. And if it's a condo community, maybe they do roofs and paint and maybe there's a pool and there's maintenance around the pool. And so and, and landscaping and all of these things, right? So they're building reserves. So what can happen sometimes is is the, the financials of that community are mismanaged for a number of reasons. People just not knowing what they're doing, overpaying, undercharging ten, uh, homeowners and not building proper reserves and therefore having to raise them substantially in order to, to get back on track. But typically HOA fees go up over time uh, because of inflation, because the cost of things go up over time. Not a hundred percent. I was on the board of an HOA. Um, We were, we reduced HOA fees three times, three years in a row, we reduced HOA fees. Uh, So it can happen where fees go down, but I would say it's more common that they stay the same or go up over time than they go down. But at the end of the day, you want to, you want to help the HOA fees go down, get on the board. That's, I mean, that's really the answer, not the one you want to hear, but that's the answer.
1: So is that your answer, Jeb? You got on the board and so the HOA fees went down? No, no, not more? at all.
0: My community is very well managed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they denigrate everybody. It was already headed in that direction prior to me going on. I have nothing to do with it. Uh, but it's, yeah, if you want to make a, an impact or I just wanted to know what the hell was going on. That's why I joined the board. Um, and I, I it's say a that. It's a thinkless job.
1: Jeb, I say that half joking. It is, it is. um. Not an easy job. It's time commitment, no pay other than, hey, we're going to hopefully get this better managed and have lower HOA dues. But I'll say the same thing. You, I've told you this before. The complex where you live in, Jeb, has many more amenities that require maintenance and upkeep than uh, the condo complex where my sister and I uh, uh, inherited from my dad. And yet our HOA dues are higher. We did finally last year got a decrease. And the one and only reason for that is the residents there got pissed at the idiots that were elected to the board and doing stupid things, replaced them. And it took about two years and they go, we have our budget under control. We have enough reserves. We have a plan for the next 10 years for everything that has to be done in this complex. And we went from like, $535 to 489. So is it a huge difference? No, but 535 was absurd for the level of amenities we had. 489 is just on the high side because that's still more than what you're paying, Jeb, and you have massively more amenities than what we have.
0: Yeah, 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 Uh, yeah, significantly more. Um, I'm looking for the episode on debt to income, debt I, income. I went through the
1: entire spreadsheet, Jeb. I don't think we've covered it. I think Kim Cam came up with a spectacular idea for this week's episode. We
0: have covered it though, but we've talked about We've debt covered to it, income. but
1: not as a topic in and of itself where someone could go to this and understand all the nuances of debt to income ratio, what's included, what isn't, and what is allowed in different programs. I think well, where can definitely... we direct
0: her to start? Cause that would be a good place to, uh, there was
1: nothing great in there.
0: Um, okay. I, we right. probably
1: covered it in terms of the one where we talk about, uh, so you don't qualify for as much as you want. What can you do to improve it? We probably discussed it in there. Um, okay. but I don't know that we've, we've gone super in detail. There's probably five, 10 minute nuggets in several of the episodes, but not a full laid out end to end discussion.
0: Wow. We suck. That's it. I mean, sorry.
1: Speak for yourself.
0: Can't, 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 can't help you. Uh, Okay, well, I was going to try to find it for you, but it looks like Josh has told us that it doesn't happen. So we'll record one for you, uh, Kim, and um, and let you know when it's when it's when it's happening.
1: Nostradamus Uh, Jeb has entered the chat. So make sure John Rodriguez has called for a crash in early April. He didn't say what's going to crash, but there's going to be a crash in early
0: April. Ooh, I bet so a car crash. I bet there's going to be a car, <laughs> car crash, crash on 4.05. We're
1: going to we're going to time stamp this moment on March 1st. So in the next 45 days would be as in early April. Dude, that dummy Robert
0: crash. Kiyosaki, bro, I see a headline that that guy calls a crash like every three days. Eventually that guy's going to be right. Yeah. Eventually. Yep. Yeah. But it's not going to be on the housing. It's going to be on something else uh ooh, what are we doing it is 6 35 josh time just flies when you're having the time of your life like us
1: kim has a another easy question here uh, are the feds going to meet again this month they never yep. meet um more than than once a month so they do have a march meeting so march 21 to 22 oh, oh again yes. again may again june july september october i was December thinking they they meet. Still in february they meet 10 times a year. And so we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. We got seven more to to go this year. And unfortunately, it looks like, Jeb, that May meeting is before we get our May CPI figures, which uh which should have some some good news.
0: There you go. There you go. Uh if you don't think there's going to be a crash and there is a lack of supply and rates are planning to go up near term, then you think it's a great time to buy now or lock to lock the appreciation. I don't necessarily think you're going to see a lot of appreciation, quite frankly. Um, You know, I think there's an opportunity for it to happen, but I also think there's an opportunity for it to go down um, a little bit as well. If rates go up and stay up, chances are prices are going to come down a little bit. If rates come back down, which I expect them to, that's going to put you know more or less a floor in in where prices can go unless you see a huge amount of sellers flood to the market and I don't think that's going to happen unless you see rates go significantly lower which I don't see a case for that happening anytime in you know in the near future so I don't think there's a rush to go out and buy a house I think if you can find the right house now the payment makes sense to you money in the bank longer term time horizon great go buy it Uh, But I wouldn't be stressing like, hey, if I don't buy a house to now, it's going to be worth significantly more tomorrow. I I don't I don't think that that's the market we're in anymore.
1: Yeah, I understand the logic. There are some people out there that are not dumb that have have outlined why they think it's a great time to buy real estate because of those reasons. I don't believe that. We go back to the question uh, that we had a few minutes ago about the crash. And we talk about mean reversion. Because I do believe mean reversion is coming, not necessarily a crash. I don't think we're going to see some type of of level of appreciation that people should be jumping in and buying real estate with both hands right now. It's just not that type of a tailwind market like we saw the last two, three years.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, I think the the Fed meeting is actually the 22nd, not the 21st, but I might be wrong. 21st and 22nd. Oh, there you go. All right. 21st and the 22nd uh josh uh kel would like to know do we get a flashback pick or a video tonight
1: should we should we find one
0: i don't know that there's anything worthy of putting out there but you know you've seen the
1: best we gave you the two best we gave you the best picture and the best video
0: (laughs) there's some good stuff out there uh we'll see what we can find i don't know if it's going to happen tonight because we need to research it but maybe next week how's that um we've we've clearly gone off the deep end here because we're losing viewers by the uh by the second um what do we got here josh do we have any questions here we don't really have a lot of questions here's a question
1: that that cannot really be answered but lynn wants to know not sure if you've answered this but do you think rates will go above eight percent in the next few months um let's back into what has to happen at the peak the spread between mortgage rates and the 10-year Treasury was 3%. So that would tell us we would have to have a 5% 10-year treasury. I don't expect that to happen, but if we're laying odds on it, is it a 0% chance? It's absolutely not a 0% chance. We would have to continue to see the big spread between 10 years and mortgages and the 10-year would have to go to 5%. Don't expect it to happen, but it is not outside the realm of possibility.
0: All right, good stuff. Um, we We had one here pop up um lowly lowly tard oh that's that's
1: not nice you're not allowed to say that anymore your wife yelled at me
0: (laughs) lowly tard uh am i crazy to buy a house that is pretty expensive but with the knowledge that i am the start of my career as an engineer in the medical field so again i would say the same things if you're comfortable with the payment now chances are if you're at the start of your field or your career chances are you're going to make more money over time you're going to continue um, to be in a better position financially. So if it makes sense now, um, it could be a good opportunity, you know, but it's, it's to each his own. It's, you know, buying a house is one of those things. It, it is a big step. Even if you're financially in a good position, it's one of those things that probably going to have a little bit of buyer's remorse, like as you're going through it, just because it's such a big thing to deal with. So, just make sure you're comfortable with it and don't worry about all the other things. Um, you know, again, if it's the right time in your life, right? If you're 18 asking this question, I don't know that that's the right time, but if you're starting your career mid, mid to late twenties, thinking about family and all of that, then, you know, it's probably, you're probably at the right point in your life.
1: And just let's talk about tailwinds educated in an in-demand position in a in demand and growing field. So all yeah, of those absolutely. things, I mean, there are there are certain industries that, you know, go up and down, ebb and flow, like if you were a, a realtor or a mortgage broker, you got great years and you have lesser years, your field is not like that. So if you feel like all the other dominoes are in place, I'd say go for it.
0: Good stuff. Uh, so what we're going to do here is we are once again going to ask that you hit the thumbs up if you found any value tonight. Also going to mention the podcast one more time. Uh, new episodes post on Tuesday. The Educated homebuyer. Go check it out. This episode will come on Friday, but we're not getting a lot of questions. So my voice is scratchy. We're going to end it here. Josh, any final words?
1: I just want to know if the folks want to see the green screen videos that we used to do of Jeb's market update that had a, a set that looks like a dungeon, like you're keeping people in a basement dungeon on market Do you updates. have
0: that to show now? I do. Ugh, well, why not? This is gonna be interesting, guys. Do you have the actual green screen?
1: I I do. I do have both. Do you Oof. want is that is that no. what you wanting? You're wanting no, to show, no. both? show
0: show the edit. I mean the edited version. These when when is the date? What is the date on this, Josh?
1: uh December of 2014 wow
0: guys this is gonna be awful so we're gonna upload this video file oh boy we're so we're sticking around so I'll see if there's any other questions so what are we doing what are we doing here so here John... we go we're doing it Happy New Year. I'm Jeff Smith owner of Coastal Realty. <laughs> the audio
1: sounds and like Denver, you're in the Real dungeon as well there's yeah. that
0: and more Look, the producer, producer is
1: awful. Here. Video, he, he puts I you in a dungeon and oh god, that's enough. I can't whatsoever. do anymore.
0: I can't do anymore. Look at that, wearing a suit. This guy suit? was trying to be a real Young estate agent, looking. dude. I was, I was thirty-four there. Man, those are the good days. The good right. days, you know, newly newly married. Life was good. Two thousand fourteen. Orange John suits. John
1: types in and says, your videos are so informative. But he didn't say that until I posted this market update from
0: 2014. That <laughs> so was, that, that is clearly why he thinks so. That
1: was why he thought that. Uh, that's
0: good. Anyhow, uh, we appreciate you guys watching. Always appreciate the support. Check out the podcast. Like, subscribe to the channel here. Go check out the Educated Homebuyer podcast on YouTube as well. All those things lead us um, to education. Josh, I can't click the end broadcast here, so you're going to have to help me out. I'm stuck. All oh, right. There we go. Are we, we? You got it? Yeah, we're good. Adios, guys. Thanks for listening to The Educated Homebuyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.